Welcome to The Spin. My name's Conrad, and joining me today are the usual suspects, Kino and MJ. How are you guys today? Great, thanks. That's good. Hot. 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 Yeah. All right. Bit, bit odd hearing that in winter. Last week you were complaining that it was too cold. Clearly <laughs> nothing can please you, MJ. Nothing. nothing. Hard man to please. All right, Kino, you're going to be talking about unemployment rate falling in uh, the U.S., uh, I'm going to be having a look at Hertz filing bankruptcy. You know, I've got a nice bit of brain teaser for us all. Then MJ, you've got bad businesses. I uh, talking mm. about the commission, competition commission. Well, you know, it's interesting. We'll see. I see we've got some banks there that we that you're naming and shaming. So that will be mm. interesting to look at later. You know, talk to me about unemployment rates. Yeah. So yesterday we got some um, US job data, and what we saw was that. Unemployment, unemployment fell from 14.7% to 13.3%. So what this actually meant is that payrolls rose by 2.5 million in May. And that's actually really impactful because um, the following month, there was a decline of 20.7 million. Um, and that was the largest decline in payrolls, uh, recording back to 1939. With this, you know, we had a massive jump in the stock market for that day. S&P 500 was up 2.9%. And this kind of added to um, a rally that we've been having this week, right? On Wednesday, um, we also saw some, some great rally in, in the S&P. And that's because it's kind of this idea and this, you know, thought that the worst of COVID is over, you know? So uh, what we saw on Wednesday was that the uh, S&P closed at a three-month high. And that's really a far cry from what we saw happening, you know, in a correction that kind of went from February to March. We saw a 34% um, decrease in what was the S&P's, you know, largest run ever. So, you know, um, yeah, the, the fuel of this is that people think that the worst of the coronavirus has subsided. Um, if we take that to the U.S. job data, the, the main reason why we saw this increase in payrolls is because, you know, lockdown restrictions have eased across states and, and more and more people have been gone back to work. Um, not only in America, but Canadian employment also rose, you know, 290,000 um, in May. So... We're seeing, you know, widespread relaxing of restrictions of lockdown and that's uh, stimulus, obviously, because of jobs. And this is resulting in some really good, you know, thoughts about the, the future. And that's, and we're seeing rallies in the stock market, you know, whether it's warranted or not, uh, we can have a discussion about that. But there's definitely some economic fundamentals as to why we see that rally um, in the market, you know, following this material increase in jobs, you know. But definitely, definitely. I do think that there's, there's potential for another correction, though, because I don't think many American companies have released their financial uh, six-month report. I think they're they, what, report mm. quarterly in America? Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I think there's the, definitely people are just trying to be optimistic here, saying, oh, look, there are jobs, but the, the, the effect of the supply chain of COVID is going to be here for quite a while, and the people will have to put a bit more of a discount on, a, on the expected future revenues. And also, you know, looking back at the last three months, I think when people, when the companies bring out their results, people are going to get a surprise, you know, say, should there have been this, this upwards correction? And then maybe, maybe the market should, should be sitting somewhere between its low point a few months ago and where it is now. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the future is unknown, right? Um, we don't know what's going to happen or how the virus is going to develop in the coming months. You know, things look good now, but we don't know if that can turn. And a lot of analysts are, are saying to, to tread on the side of caution and are not convinced um, by this alien and think that it's just, you know. Take advance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Who, who's, who's buying stocks um, at this point? You know, who's raised passive investments? Is it you know, people active? People thinking there's value stocks now? I don't have the exact numbers on me, but when it's, when it's broad-based values like this, you know, most of the time it comes from the, the massive, obviously, inflows from stuff like the BlackRock ETFs, right? So that's the low-cost um, index funds. 
and that's you know the, the past five years that, that has always been the source of these values you know so passive passive etfs yeah yeah and then and what happens is that um people buy the etfs and then the algorithms go off and then the momentum goes up and then it just keeps on happening and these these, these etfs are both on mass which is why these values are so um quick and you know vicious when compared to the past because of this uh, you know combination of passive funds being the giants in the market and obviously um algorithmic trading being yes. the maximum amount of the, the, the trading happening in the market. There's no real actual fundamental data on the companies that's driving the rally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was, you know, a fundamental, like, 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 I guess be fair, right? Now people aren't completely stupid, but there was some economic fundamentals behind this rally, right? The yes. economic fundamentals behind this was, you know, restrictions are falling a bit and then obviously the drop report. So, but yeah, you, you're completely right in the fact that we haven't seen any, you no, know, we haven't seen any change in fundamentals, you know, earnings haven't released. So, um, on that side, you're right, that, that we haven't seen a change in, in valuation from companies, you know, it's just some economic fundamentals. Yeah, Andrew, you got comments? No, oh, I think we can move on to the more kind of micro down to hertz specific uh-huh. company. All right, we've spoken about how the American economy is hurting. Now let's talk about hertz itself. Now hertz is hurting. <laughs> My little attempt at a bad joke for for this podcast. So hertz is filing for bankruptcy. It's the oldest car rental company in the world, um, founded in 1918, and they cited capsing revenue streams due to COVID COVID 19. The interesting main exercise for this week uh, for, for us is what would happen if rental companies in South Africa also filed for bankruptcy? Now, rental cars are often driven up until around the 40,000 kilometer mark and are then sold on the second-hand market. And in a sudden dumping of vehicles, as what has been suggested Hertz America does, um, sudden dumping of the vehicles, many of which are similar brands and makes such as the Polo, would significantly drop the price of sale. You know, anyone who's done basic economics would know an increase in supply, but you know, steady demand means that the price is going to drop. Um, and you know, on the other hand, the first-hand car prices in South Africa are expected to rise significantly with imported models being brought in with significantly weaker rand. And second-hand car sales traditionally track the, the price movement of um, first-hand vehicles, but now there's a potential almost for, for them to, to diverge a bit. What are your guys' thoughts? So um, I don't know the exact, you know, it's, it's really interesting and I don't know the exact scale of Hertz when it comes to their market share, but a significant amount of used cars being dumped on the, the, the market, as you said, you know, that's going to be a, a shock to supply, which is definitely going to bring the, the um, aggregate price down of, of all used cars. So it's really interesting to let's see how these knock-on effects happen, right? But I think it's also important to consider that at least one um, rental car company, right? And it's not, you know, an industry-wide dumping of cars, but as I said, um, I'm not sure about the scale of this company and, and, and how so, so, so they they the second biggest car company in the US with a- assets. Biggest. Okay, wow. Yes, wow. with assets yeah. of um, $25 billion, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, then that's definitely going to be an impactful, um, you know, increase yeah. to supply. So that's, making that's me, interesting. It's making yes. me think um, in a way of, you know, just financial housing prices, you know, just how, you know, that almost chain effect, people, people defaulting, you know, supply of houses increasing, price dropping, et cetera, et cetera. You know, definitely yeah. those knock-on effects. And I think another, you know, when it comes to the supply is that just in general, um, consumers haven't been spending as much on, on things like cars, you know, so maybe that will be another um, draft on, 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 on the supply of these used cars. So we might see, you know, lots of shocks affecting Mm, yeah, I guess with people staying at home, being in lockdown, you know, you don't, you don't need a car. No, but then uh, there were articles saying that, you know, when everyone comes out of lockdown in, in 
travel, especially in more developed countries where they are, yeah. where there's public transport, people are going to mm. be, be looking to drive themselves, um, their families more, and, and mm. spend time on public transport to decrease the risk of getting infected. Yeah, and I mean, there's an economic theory that not only when it comes to transport, that just when COVID, you know, when, well, I can't say when COVID ends, but when things get better, there's just going to be a massive increase in aggregate spending from consumers. Just as an emotional reaction to this kind of, you know, um, treacherous time passing. And then, you know, we like to spend when we're happy. So there is some um, economic thought um, that, that comes to that, that, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to our last topic for today. I can sense our listeners' disappointment when they hear this last topic. Almost done for the day. Um, Andre, talk to me. Yeah, it's quite a spicy topic, bringing it back home to SA. So my story for this week, it's about the Competition Commission. So they filed a new charge with the Competition Tribunal against no less than 28 banks for rand dollar, rand dollar manipulation. So some of the banks charged include NetBank, APSA, Rand Merchant Bank, Citigroup, Investec, JP Morgan, and Credit Suisse. Some really big names here. So this is after many of the foreign banks that have been accused, argued that the, com- the commission did not have jurisdiction to prosecute them. What initially happened was um, that the case, the initial case that was raised in 2017 related to collusion to fix the prices and divide the market and was in contra- contravention of the Companies Act. The price fixing related to bid prices, bid offer spreads, and the spot exchange rates and dividing the markets relates to the banks allocating customers um, tra- looking to trade the US dollar czar currency pair. So what this essentially means is that if I wanted to buy dollars with my rands through one of these banks, the price at which I could make this exchange was fixed, kind of pre-decided to a certain extent. So this could have had many effects on several aspects of the economy, such as the petrol price, local inflation, and ultimately even interest rates and GDP growth. The banks have said that several of the individual traders involved have been dismissed but the banks themselves themselves haven't yet faced consequences and they could be fined up to 10% of their annual earnings. Wow. I just want to have a, a bit of a comment there on the bank saying, or the foreign banks accusing the commission that they don't have the jurisdiction to prosecute them. A lot mm-hmm. of the time, you know, if you do business in a, in a, a country, then that country's laws apply to you, no matter... You, know, you you are bound by that country's laws if you practice business mm. in that country, even if you're not domiciled or you're not registered in that country. So, especially in South Africa, you, they would, or well, I would argue that they do this does have jurisdiction. Yeah, I think though in this case specifically the banks. I'm not sure which banks exactly, but they were arguing that the the actual exchanging the trading was done on a New York trading floor, when or not actually in South Africa, although it was done with the SA currency. So, more of a grey area there. Yeah. Well, I think that's for the commission to then decide, you know, where their yeah. boundaries lie. You know, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, no, I mean, when it comes to something like this, there's a lot of specialised knowledge that you need to know about the mechanics behind currencies traded, um, you know, things like the office space and like that. So, a lot of specialised knowledge that I don't have as well as knowledge about the case. But I think what will be interesting is that, you know, these allegations about the effects that we have on stuff like you mentioned, um, petrol price and, you know, local inflation and obviously widespread imports. It would be interesting to see how they kind of um, quantify the liability, right? 
mm. just to see the thought process behind look how much money have we actually lost or foregone you know as opportunity yeah. cost of this dollar fixing and and how do we find people for that you know because it, it will probably be exceptionally difficult to kind of calculate the financial impact of that so that's just something that i'd be interested yeah, to see oh, very interesting topics for for today I think it was, it was a good discussion. But I'm afraid this is where you know, we're going to close our curtains. Until next week, guys. Right, cheers. Cheers.